Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. We're not saying to the world, tut tut on you, you're, you're dirty, filthy and sinners and we're not, you should become like us. What we're saying is we've come to realise what we're trying to help you to realise, we need a saviour. When we put effort into doing the right thing, we like to think that we're good people. But what if our best effort still clashes with God's instruction to us? Do we just reassure ourselves that we're right and press on regardless? The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah had his work cut out for him, convincing the Israelite leaders that they were far from right. It's tricky. Let's join Dr. Corbett now for a look at the problem with all people. You may be aware that around the 16th century, there were a group of men, not necessarily as a group, but there were men that God raised up around Europe who took issue with many of the things that the established state church, the Roman Catholic Church, were teaching. Because the Roman Catholic Church was teaching anyone is made right with God when an an officer of the church absolves their sin. Martin Luther, who had recently been lecturing through the, the epistle to the Romans, saw that that was not what the Bible taught at all. And so he saw that you could only be forgiven of your sins if you put your faith and trust in Christ. After Martin Luther, there were some other gentlemen who also came to the same conclusions from studying Scripture. They realized that the Scripture painted a picture of the world that looked pretty real. It corresponded with reality. And this one that I've got here is, the, is part of an acronym called TULIP. The total... Depra- that's the T. Total depravity of man is one of the foundational doctrines of the Bible. And they started there. And when any of us compares ourselves with God, we have to conclude we are sinners. So that means every person is born a sinner. A couple of scriptures just to help you with that. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. Jeremiah says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it that's mother Teresa's heart that's the kindest sweetest person you know we're all sinners we're not saying to the world tut tut on you you're you're dirty filthy and sinners and we're not you should become like us we're really good and we don't do anything wrong we're not saying that what we're saying is We've come to realise what we're trying to help you to realise. We need a saviour. That's the total depravity of man. Another couple of scriptures, so there was Jeremiah 17 verse 9, is Romans chapter 3 verse 10. Uh, There is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, every one of us. So that's the foundation. Now, without you understanding that, you're probably not going to fully appreciate what we're about to look at in Jeremiah. So as we look at Jeremiah now, we're in chapter 43. You might want to turn there, Jeremiah chapter 43. And this is the problem with all people. And the problem with all people is exactly this doctrine called the total depravity of man. We are all sinners. And the the, the problem is when you tell a sinner that they become proud and defensive and deny it. If you tell someone that they need a saviour because of sin in their heart, which is why they need a saviour, they will probably get their back up and resist what you're saying. 
We all did it until God broke us down to actually, for our own good, to see that we needed a saviour. So we're looking at the first seven verses, Jeremiah chapter 43, verses 1 to 7. Just to give you a little bit of the background here, you know Jeremiah has courageously declared the word of the Lord to Yohanan and Azariah and some of these guys that have come to him and they have already said to him, tell us the word of God, whether it's good or whether it's bad, we will hear it and we will receive it and we will obey it. So he's given them the word of the Lord and the word of the Lord is this, stay here, serve the king of Babylon, do not go to Egypt, stay here. That's the background. And as he's saying that to Yohanan, Yohanan is a guy who was a military man. He was, he, this is his career, this is his profession. He, he has many wonderful talents and all of them involve killing people. And there's Jeremiah standing nose to nose with this man who to take a life is nothing to Yohanan. And there's Jeremiah giving him the word of the Lord. Do not do what is in your heart. Do not go to Egypt. You go to Egypt, the very thing you think you will be fleeing will pursue you. Don't go there. Right, that's the, that's the backdrop. Let's pick it up in verse 1. When Jeremiah had finished speaking to all the people all these words of the lord their god with which the lord their god had sent him to them azariah the son of hoshiah and johanan the son of korea and all the insolent men your translation may have proud pride-filled rebellious all the insolent men said to jeremiah you are telling a lie The Lord, our God, did not send you to say, do not go to Egypt to live there. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, has set you against us to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans, that they may kill us and take us into exile in Babylon. Good night. This is is utterly bewildering. Because here's Jeremiah who from the age of 12 or 13 has been prophesying about the exact things that have actually happened in this city. It's not like he's got it half right, quarter right, mostly right. He's got it absolutely right. And yet they still refuse to acknowledge that what he is saying is actually from God. This is bewildering. It's really, really bewildering. And it it kind of comes to an issue of life how can you tell if someone's lying or let's flip that how can you tell if someone's telling the truth how can you tell if someone's a truthful person this is how they should have known jeremiah was telling the truth and this is how you can tell if anyone's telling the truth jeremiah had a proven record of telling the truth it was he had a reputation proverbs chapter 22 verse 1 says this a good name is to be chosen above great riches That is, your reputation as someone who is honest and tells the truth is worth more than a billion dollars in your bank account. Jeremiah had that. He was someone who had a record for telling the truth. Secondly, he was consistent in all that he had said. It's easy to tell the truth because you've only got one story. 
That's the true story. Jeremiah had a record of being consistent. There was nothing inconsistent with what Jeremiah had been saying. And thirdly, here's, it's, this is not the guarantee, but it, but it helps. Does he care? Does he really care? Does he demonstrate that he cares? This is, not the, this is the third one. It's not the first one. It's the third one. Because if someone doesn't care about someone, what's their motive for telling them the truth? If someone does care, they want them to know the truth. Jeremiah had demonstrated compassion for people. Children, you should know this with your parents. Your parents care for you. That's why they tell you the truth. So someone who demonstrates compassion will feel for those that they're telling the truth to. Jeremiah was known as someone, it says in Jeremiah chapter 9, where it says his eyes had become like fountains. Because he just began, he began to weep so much for people. He really had a genuine compassion for people. This is a clue that someone is a truth teller. They feel for those they're sharing with. We're back in verse 4. So Yohanan the son of Korea and all the commanders of the forces and all the people did not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in the land of of Judah. This is again I'm just I'm just staggered at this response. Staggered. But there's a part of me that says, now this is where I need you to come back to the opening little monologue there about the total depravity of man. There's another part of me that says, well actually it's not surprising. Because there is something deep in every human heart that wants to be our own God. We want to be our own God. And what's, what, what's the word for that? The word is arrogance. So Yohanan, uh, but Yohanan, the son of Korea, and all the commanders of the forces took all the remnant of Judah who had returned to live in the land of Judah from all the nations to which they had been driven. The men, the women, the children, the princesses, and every person whom Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Ahakam, the son of Shaphan, also Jeremiah the prophet, and Baruch the son of Neriah. Now, again, I just need to let you know before we read the next verse that the expression Egypt in Scripture becomes synonymous with the world, worldliness. It becomes synonymous with that which is not of God, that which is of the world, that which doesn't think the thoughts of God but thinks anti-God thoughts, the world. And the New Testament is going to pick up this language, this language of the world, Egypt. It's going to be referred to in the book of Revelation, for example, in describing Jerusalem. Jerusalem becomes known as Egypt in Revelation chapter 11. And it's saying that the city that was chosen by God and its people who were chosen by God to know him and reflect him would become just as bad as the world an anti-God rejecting him. So when these people are saying, we're going to go down to Egypt, it's not random. It is a very deliberate picture in scripture that they are fulfilling of saying, this is the way God wants us to go, so we're going to go this way. And it is no mistake that biblically, it is in opposite directions, Egypt and Israel. And they came into the land of Egypt. 
for they did not obey the voice of the Lord. And they arrived at Tarpanis. And we're going to leave the story there. This story continues, but we're going to leave it there and let's just consider what we've read because we in today's society are dealing with lots of Johannans, angry people, people who hear the word of the Lord and they just do not want a bar of it. Just to give you a little snippet, these people, these men, they go down to Egypt and Jeremiah has said, if you flee there, Babylon will pursue you. They go there just to run ahead a little bit and Babylon doesn't pursue them. Hmm. So it looks like Jeremiah was wrong and it looks like these men were right. They would have taken great comfort from the fact they got it right and Jeremiah was wrong. Today, we can share the word of God with people and we can say that unless you repent and turn to Christ, you cannot know fulfillment in life. And they might go and do some thrill thing, whatever, and feel some momentary fulfillment and go, ah, I didn't give my life to Christ. You're wrong, Christian. Momentary thrills don't replace the ultimate fulfillment that knowing Christ can bring. About three or four weeks ago, I had someone visit me who's not a Christian. And they began to ask questions. And the question very quickly came around to, how can you Christians think that sex outside of marriage is prohibited by God when it's such a beautiful thing. And, and of course, very quickly they bibed in and said, well, Jesus never said anything about sexuality or marriage. And I said, well, but in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, Jesus said, it's what's in your heart. And if you have sexual immorality in your heart, it comes out in your life and that will defile you and keep you out of the kingdom of heaven. So that's red letter. That's Jesus speaking right there. I know people have told you he never said that, but he did. There it is. And Matthew chapter 19, verses 4, 5, and 6. Jesus, red letter again, says, Have you not read from the beginning God made the male and female? A man should leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife, and the two should become one. And what God has joined together, let no man tear apart. That's Christ's statement on marriage. Matthew chapter 19, verses 4, 5, and 6. And he got really angry at this. And, I, and I'm thinking, this has not gone well. And, and he left and, and he dropped in this week, just gone. And he said this. You know, I've been thinking about what you said about how God has the right to tell us how we can live. It actually makes sense. Tell me more. So I share with him for another hour and a half about God and how he wants and longs for the best for us and how his word is for our good, not for our harm. And shared with him things like this. And he said, you've really given me something to think about. I want to share with you three little stories and then I'm done as I just give you some challenges the first story is of a catholic priest who heard that there was a young couple this was in america where their abortion laws are very liberal he heard of a young couple that were uh, she was in her second trimester of pregnancy and 
they had just received word and that confirming that the, that the baby she was pregnant with had Down syndrome. And so they had made the decision because they had uh, 21 days from doctor's advice in the second trimester under that state law where they could terminate, horrible word, the pregnancy. And the, this Catholic priest heard about it and he contacted them. And he, he, he rang them and spoke to them and pleaded with them and said, please do not, it's a human life, it's valuable in the sight of God and, and the sight of people, this is a human life, you can't do this. And they said, but you don't know our circumstances emotionally and financially and our situation is that we just, can't, we just cannot see that we could care for a baby with Down syndrome. As a final gesture, he said, if I could get someone to adopt your baby, would you carry that baby? I mean, it's only another six weeks or so. Would you carry that baby full term and adopt that baby out? And they said, you've got fat chance of finding anyone in the next 48 hours. Sure, go ahead. He put a post on Facebook. 1,200 couples offered to adopt that baby. That baby was adopted out, and it's a happy ending there. Let me tell you about that priest. His older brother had Down syndrome. And when his older brother was young, he fell into this septic pit. And the result was he went in over his head, and his father heard it, and his father rushed into the pit and managed to rescue his son. But in the process... He himself sank in and died. This younger brother who grew up to become a Catholic priest had seen firsthand the value of a human life no matter what their physical condition. In a town not too far away from this, nearby is a women's prison. At that women's prison, most of the prisoners are young girls, teenagers. And most of them, by far the majority of these young teenage convicts, prisoners, enter into prison pregnant. And under state law, they get no grace or mercy because they're pregnant and they cannot keep their child in prison. A small church nearby this prison, where there were women who heard of this predicament, there was a couple of women who said, we should do something to help. And some of the women went to the prison and spoke with some of these pregnant teenage, soon-to-be mums, and offered to foster their children and care for their babies. Some, some of these women are going to do five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, fifteen years prison, and they're taking their babies in and getting them introduced to their mother and the mother introduced to the baby. And they're fostering, not parenting, they're fostering these babies. And why are they doing that? Because of the difference Christ has made. I said to you, T is for total depravity of the human heart. But there's a U, tulip. And that, that U talks about how Christ can save a sinner and Christ is 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 able to, to take that human heart and transform it and put a new heart in that person and their heart is utterly transformed from being selfish self-focused 
to becoming compassionate and reaching out and caring for people. The third thing I want you to hear, and all of these stories, by the way, are in a book called All Things New by John Stone Street, is when the Ebola crisis broke out in the Congo, the US government put an immediate with, uh, withdrawal call on their citizens to flee the Congo. As their citizens are fleeing the Congo because of the Ebola crisis, there was a small group of American doctors who got on a plane to go to the Congo. These doctors were Christian men. And while everybody's fleeing the Congo because of the Ebola crisis, these handful of Christian doctors, Christian men, are getting on a plane to walk into it. Why? Because Christ had transformed their hearts. Why did that dad jump into that cesspool, literally that cesspool, and rescue his Down syndrome son, whom the world says is of, largely says is of no value? Because Christ had transformed his heart and shown him that every person is of value. Why did those women reach out to those teenage mums in that Colorado prison? Because Christ had transformed their heart and told them that every human being matters. Why did these doctors board a plane and take their own life in their own hands and risk the most horrible death by becoming embedded in this Ebola crisis? Because Christ had transformed their hearts. The arrogance of man says, God, don't tell me what to do. And I'm mindful of Proverbs 14, 12, which says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And we are seeing people who are taking that kind of arrogant posture. And they may hear the word of God and they may hear someone like me saying, Give your life to Christ and you will know ultimate satisfaction, ultimate fulfillment. Yes, there is a price to pay. You'll have to turn from your sin. Stop embracing your sin as your idol and turn to Christ and embrace him as your Lord. And they may think they will be worse off as a result. And you may feel like you may be worse off if you put God first. But you won't be. You won't ever be. And here's my question as I ponder this passage in Jeremiah. And I think, now, what, what have these stories got to do with this passage in Jeremiah? I want to illustrate that in a moment. Let's think about the Yohannans of this world. This guy, Yohannan, grew up in Jerusalem. In the center of Jerusalem, the focal point of Jerusalem, up the top of that hill overlooking Jerusalem is the temple where he would have grown up and every day seen priests and sacrifices and religious duty. He would have heard the law being read. He would have heard it all. And yet he gets to this stage of his life and his heart is hard to God. How... Can we help the Ohanans of this world to trust God? How can we do it? And this is my challenge to you. See, I'm coming into the second phase, second half of my life, and there are some of you who are starting out in your first half. It's up to you. It's up to you. Every generation needs to hear about God, His ways. His word and his will. Every generation needs to hear it. And we have right now an entire generation that hasn't. And that means this. I failed. 
And this is my plea to every person under the age of 25 listening to me right now. Where I have failed, please don't you fail. Connect with your generation. Learn to take a stand, not to compromise. And learn to do it in a winsome way. We need to tell the stories of Christ's rescue of lives. Like I just gave you three. We need... And by the way, none of those things were, have ever been reported in the media. None of them. I can't even tell you the names of the people. Because in the eyes of the world, they're nobodies. Can I tell you, I think Jesus is going to do an utter revolution of nobodies. He's going to use the nobodies of this world. And I want to be a nobody. In my second half of my life, I want to go out as a nobody who made a difference for Jesus. Will you join the revolution? Will you learn to yield to God? You see, I think the world needs to hear stories. And I think God's people need to tell stories, sing God songs, tell God stories, paint God paintings. You know, the other week I was saying to Kim, I'm just looking for the photo. I'm looking for the, someone's going to take a photo. This whole gay marriage thing is just going to turn on a photo, on an artwork, on a painting, on a song, on a poem, on something, something, something. Because the Vietnam War, I remember the Vietnam War. I grew up during the Vietnam War. And there were street protests. Man, I remember guys sitting on their roofs with long beards playing guitar to stop the war. I mean, sounds strange now, but that's what hippies were doing back then. They wanted peace, love and apple pie and whatever and stop the war. And they decided to play acoustic guitars on their roofs to make it happen. And none of it worked until one Time magazine photographer... And everyone over 50 will know this. Took a photo of a young Vietnamese girl running across a bridge, fleeing napalm. And within days, the Vietnam War was over. One photo. We need people, we need under 25s who can tell God's stories, sing God's songs, and paint God paintings. And this is my challenge to you. Is God calling you? To be an artist, a storyteller. And God knows we need preachers. We need preachers. Is God calling you to be an artist, a storyteller or a preacher? And maybe if he isn't, I tell you what, there are plenty of people here who are thinking, well, I'm not under 25, I'm not talking to me, I'll just close up my Bible now, I'm done. He can talk to them. Hang on a minute, brothers and sisters. God has ordained two means for the gospel to be effective. One is through preaching and the other one is through prayer and i know that there are people who have dropped the ball when it comes to praying for this generation i'm going to ask you i'm going to plead with you pick up the ball get back in the game start praying for this generation like it actually matters this story about yohanan defiantly arrogantly insolently rejecting the word of god is a picture of our generation today. And we just want to do all we can to prevent any more Johannans from being birthed in this world. Let's pray. Father, help us to be your people. Help us to be your people. Help us to be yielded to you. Help us to be surrendered to you. Help us, oh God, to have our hands lifted toward you 
in constant yielded prayer, pleading for this generation, pleading for the lost, pleading. Father, I pray for every person under the age of 25 in this place that the games they play, the petty distractions they partake in would stop and that, Lord, in their hearts, they would sanctify Jesus Christ as Lord. That, Father, we would see young women of God and especially that we would see young men of God raised up. That we would see storytellers, people who can tell a redemptive story. That we would have songwriters birthed in this church who can write redemptive songs. Songs that touch a generation. Songs that can touch this society. And that, Father, you would raise up preachers out of this church. God, there are pulpits unfilled all across this state. There are pulpits unfilled all across this nation. And there are some pulpits that are filled with people who haven't got the courage to preach God's word and I pray that out of this church you would birth courageous preachers courageous artists courageous storytellers and courageous songwriters in Jesus name and everyone said amen amen there's a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way to death that's from Proverbs it takes courage to trust God when we fear we'll be worse off from Dr. Corbett next week with his discussion as a shepherd cleans his cloak of vermin. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, The Problem with All People, are available via the website, findingtruthmatters.org, or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania, 7277. For regular updates and special offers, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr. Corbett is the pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.